Good morning on the 1st of March, 2024. It seems like things have, uh, the, the month of February went by both very slowly and very quickly. And I, for one, am glad that we're here on the third Friday of Lent, approaching the midway point of Lent. And I do hope that your Lent is going quite well so far. And if you're having a very fruitful, penitential Lenten season, we're going to cover quite a few, uh, three stories really today. So first one is a brief one. I'm just going to ju jump, jump into this because some um, people are, for whatever reason, really demanding that I talk about this before, like in my live chat before the show starts, which I try not to do that kind of thing. So you probably heard by now that uh, yesterday, Francis the Great Merciful uh, received in private audience Father Andres Komorowski, I know I butchered his name, my apologies, Superior General of the FSSP. We have heard literally nothing from what that meeting was with about. The FSSP have said they will issue a press statement today about it. Well, they didn't say today. They said soon. I mean, presumably that means today. Um, I That hasn't happened yet. I checked just a few minutes ago. They have said nothing yet. I suggest people hold off on thinking one way or another anything about this meeting between Francis and the FSSP Superior General. Partially because um, Father Dave Nixon is publicly available telegram posted that he has a contact in the fraternity who said it was a nothing burger, not to worry about it. I know some people have jumped the gun and already started making videos about this stuff and whatever, but let's hold off until we actually get news. If they, if that press release is anything important in it today, then I will, it'll be what I could talk about tomorrow before anything else. And maybe, and if it's an enormous piece of news, like the suppression of the FSSP or or all of a sudden all their priests being required to offer the new mass or whatever it is. If it's something like that, then that'll be the main focus tomorrow. But otherwise, um, there's a big story brewing in Spain and other places that we'll, I will probably be covering instead. So today is First Friday. If you have a devotion, to the if you're following the First Friday devotions, this is your day to do it. This, uh, if you're thinking about starting the First Saturday devotions, Tomorrow's the day to do it, and I'll be ending on the, uh, the topic of the five first Saturdays. But for now, we have nothing at all whatsoever about the FSSP. There is no update. I hope I do want people to be responsible when they talk about this stuff. But you know how it is. Sometimes people aren't. Speaking of being responsible, the um, some of the bishops have been have decided that they are going to prepare for the next conclave. I've been talking about this off and on for months now. We've heard the uh, Bergolian side of things loves the uh, loves Francis and wants to keep his reforms going, so-called reforms. Except they've been meeting prepared themselves with the goal of getting somebody like Francis, but somebody they can keep under control. Meaning, you know, how Francis sometimes will say some suspiciously Catholic-sounding things. He'll sometimes go after modernist prelates or modernists. Uh, priests or whatever. I suspect what they mean is they want somebody who's not going to do that, who will just do all the things that he does that they like, but will not go after their own side very often, if at all. And somebody who will stay on message, which is sometimes something Francis has a hard time doing. I've also reported that, uh, that, that some of the uh, better cardinals have been meeting at conferences and quietly discussing what to do with the next conclave. Well, we got the next 
big thing in that. And that is that um, you may remember that last year, and our uh, letter was penned by, by an anonymous cardinal calling himself Demos, describing all the problems in the Francis pontificate and how the, card, how the College of Cardinals needs to be ready to replace him when the time comes. It turned out that Demos was Cardinal Pell, who then passed away shortly after that letter. Well, a new letter written by someone calling themselves Demos II uh, was issued. And this one is, again, again, it's anonymous. It's apparently a follow-up to the first one, and it gives you seven priorities for the next conclave to repair the confusion and crisis created by Francis. It's good that there are cardinals preparing, trying to prepare themselves for this. Um, when reading, when I when I was reading over this, I had my suspicions on who I think it is, but because the Vatican has very has openly said they follow all the uh, Catholic podcasters and bloggers and YouTubers and keep an eye on them, I'll give my opinion on who I think this was to myself on this. I won't be helping the Vatican and my Vatican handler do his job for them. But uh, everybody say a hail mary for the poor diocesan priest or poor seminarian or lay employee of the Vatican's communications dicastery whose job it is, is to watch a bunch of podcasts and read a bunch of blogs that they don't agree with. So please say a prayer for them that it doesn't all go to their head. So this, this, the Demos 2 letter was published on the New Daily Compass website. And let's just, I'll just read it for you here and then we'll talk about it. So it's the Vatican tomorrow. In March 2022, an anonymous text appeared signed Demos entitled The Vatican Today that raised a number of serious questions and criticisms regarding the pontificate of Pope Francis. Conditions in the church since that text appeared have not materially changed, much less improved. Thus, the thoughts offered here are intended to build on those original reflections in light of the needs of the Vatican tomorrow. The concluding years of a pontificate, any pontificate, are a time to assess the condition of the church in the present and the needs of the church and her faithful going forward. It is clear that the strength of Pope Francis's pontificate is the added emphasis he has given to compassion towards the weak, outreach to the poor, and marginalized, concern for the dignity of creation and the issues related to it that flow from it, and efforts to accompany the suffering and alienated in their burdens. Its shortcomings are equally obvious autocratic, at times seemingly vindictive style of governance, a carelessness in matters of law, an intolerance for, ev for even respectful disagreement, and most seriously, a pattern of ambiguity in matters of faith and morals causing confusion among the faithful. Confusion brings division and conflict. It undermines confidence in the word of God. It weakens evangelical witness, and the result today is a church more fractured than at any time in her recent history. The ta task of the next pontificate must therefore be one of recovery and reestablishment of truths that have been solely obscured or lost, or lost among many Christians. These include but are not limited to such basics as the following. A. No one is saved except through and only through Jesus Christ, as he himself made clear. B. God is merciful but also just and is intimately concerned with every human life. He forgives but he also holds us accountable. He is both Savior and Judge. C. Man is God's creature, not a self-invention, a creature not merely of emotion and appetites, but also of intellect, free will, and an eternal destiny. D. Unchanging objective truths about the world and human nature exist and are knowable through divine revelation and the exercise of reason. E. God's word, recorded in scripture, is reliable and has permanent force. F. Sin is real and its effects are uh, permanently ending. <laughs> And G, his church has both the authority and the duty to make disciples of all nations. The failure to joyfully embrace that work of missionary salvific love has consequences. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Some practical observations flow from the task and list above. First, real authority is damaged by authoritarian means in its exercise. The Pope is a successor of Peter and the guarantor of church unity, but he's not an autocrat. He cannot change church doctrine, and he must not invent or alter the church's discipline arbitrarily. He governs the church collegially with his brother bishops and local dioceses, and he does so always in faithful continuity with the word of God and church teaching. New paradigms and unexplored new paths that deviate from either are not of God. A new pope must restore the hermeneutic of continuity in Catholic life and reassert Vatican II's understanding of the papacy's proper role. So here you go. This reveals the identity of who this is. All you have to do is look at who have been writing these letters that I've covered extensively, who focuses on the hermeneutic of continuity and how great Vatican II is while resisting Francis and his excesses. And you will figure out very quickly who wrote this letter. It's not, it's not terribly subtle here. Let's continue. Second, just as the church is not an autocracy, neither is she a democracy. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. She is his church. She is Christ's mystical body made up of many members. We have no authority to refashion her teachings to fit more comfortably with the world. Moreover, the Catholic census fidelium is not a matter of opinion surveys, nor even the view of a baptized majority. It derives only from those who genuinely believe and actively practice, or at least sincerely seek to practice the faith and teachings of the church. Third, ambiguity is neither evangelical nor welcoming. Rather, it breeds doubt and feeds schismatic impulses. The church is a community not just of word and sacrament, but also of creed. What we believe helps to define and sustain us. Thus, doctrinal issues are not burdens imposed by unfeeling doctors of the law, nor are they cerebral sideshows to the Christian life. On the contrary, they are vital to living a Christian life authentically because they deal with applications of the truth, and the truth demands clarity, not ambivalent nuance. From the start, the current pontificate has resisted the evangelical force and intellectual clarity of its immediate predecessors. The dismantling and repurposing of Rome's John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family and the marginalizing of texts like Veritatis Splendor suggests an elevation of compassion and emotion at the expense of reason, justice, and truth. For a creedal community, this is both unhealthy and profoundly dangerous. Fourth, the Catholic Church, in addition to word, sacrament, creed, is also a community of law. Canon law orders church life, harmonizes its institutions and procedures, and guarantees the rights of believers. Among the marks of the current pontificate are its excessive reliance on the motu proprio as a tool for governance and a general carelessness and distaste for canonical detail. Again, as with ambiguity of doctrine, disregard for canon law and proper canonical procedure undermines confidence in the purity of the church's mission. Fifth, the church, as John XXIII so beautifully described here, is mater et magistra, the mother and teacher of humanity, not its dutiful follower, the defender of man as a subject of history, not its object. She is the bride of Christ, her natural, personal, supernatural, and intimate, not merely institutional. She can never be reduced to a system of flexible ethics or sociological analysis and the remodeling to fit the instincts and appetites and the confusions of the flesh of an age. One of the key flaws in the current pontificate is its retreat from a convincing theology of the body and its lack of a compelling Christian anthropology, precisely at a time when attacks on human nature and identity from uh, redacted to redacted are mounting. Sixth, worldwide travel served as a pastor, served a pastor like Pope John Paul II so well because of his unique personal gifts and the nature of the times. But the times and circumstances have changed. The church in Italy and throughout Europe, the historic home of the faith, is in crisis. The Vatican itself urgently needs a renewal of its morale, a cleansing of its institutions, procedures, and personnel, and a thorough reform of its finances to prepare for a more challenging future. 
These are not small things. They demand the presence, direct attention, and personal engagement of any new pope. Seventh and finally, the College of Cardinals exists to provide senior counsel to the Pope and to elect his successor upon his passing. That service requires men of clean character, strong theological formation, mature leadership experience, and personal holiness. It also requires a Pope willing to seek advice and then to listen. It's unclear to what degree this applies in the Pope Francis pontificate. The current pontificate has placed an emphasis on diversifying the college, but it has failed to bring cardinals together in regular consistories designed to foster genuine collegiality and trust among brothers. As a result, many of the voting electors in the next conclave will not really know each other, and thus may be more vulnerable to manipulation. In the future, if the college is to serve its purposes, the cardinals who inhabit it need more than a red zucchetto and a ring. Today's card college of cardinals should be proactive about getting to know each other to better understand their particular views regarding the church, their local church situations, and their personalities, which impact their consideration of the next pope. Readers and listeners will quite reasonably ask why this text is anonymous. The answer should be evident from the tenor of today's Roman environment. Candor is not welcome, and its consequences can be unpleasant. And yet these thoughts could continue for many more paragraphs noting especially the current pontificate's heavy dependence on the Society of Jesus, the recent problematic work by the DDS Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, and the emergence of a small oligarchy of confidants with excessive influence within the Vatican, all despite synodality's decentralizing claims, among other things. Exactly because of these matters, the cautionary reflections noted here may be useful in the months ahead. It is hoped that this contribution will help guide much-needed conversations about what the Vatican should look like in the next pontificate. Signed. Demos the second. Now, remind you, Demos the first was card was revealed to be Cardinal Pell, which people figured out pretty quickly when that initial letter came out. I have my suspicions, practically given away by the call for hermeneutic of continuity and the the uplifting of Vatican II. For those of you hoping that that would be a traditional, like something written from a more traditionalist perspective, there's your giveaway that it's not. This is written for, by a lot of people don't like po like political secular political language. But this is written from a more moderate perspective, very clearly a more moderate perspective. And that should give away who wrote this. One of the highest profile cardinals in the church today. Um, if you don't like the term moderate, uh, another Catholic commentator has a humorous term. We'll call it a squish. This is one of those kinds of the people who like try to sit in the middle and try to wrangle all sides and don't want to take hard stands on some of the glaringly obvious issues. It's the same kind of thing. Trisha's Catholic says it's a good letter. It generally is. It's it doesn't address some of the elephants in the room, meaning the entire reason we have these problems is because of the same ambiguities he calls that the author that calls out from conciliar documents and some other things. But it is it's it's a good letter. Mina says this is a breath of stale air in a putrid atmosphere. Right. It seems nice given how bad things are. Um <clears throat> Right, that's kind of the problem with this letter, because that letter does it does not mention one bit that the next pope needs to actually challenge the validity of anything going on today, including the look at least into the question of the validity of the current alleged pontiff. You're not going to be able to rally the College of Cardinals with that, though, and that's one thing people do need to realize. The question of is Francis valid or not is something held mostly by lay people. There are plenty of priests out there who hold that position. Good luck finding anybody in the College of Cardinals who will echo that position and will ever look into it. Bellator says they want a Pope Clement V, a puppet Pope, to suppress orders and take orders of, from an authority behind the scenes. Francis II will be a Clement V type for the 21st century. 
if they get their way, yes. I tend to think a moderate pope would be a, would would be a disaster for the church because there are problems that need to be suppressed. They need to be dealt with directly and fiercely. And you don't get that with this desire to appease people and to sort of reestablish a hermeneutic of continuity and all the rest of that stuff. You need strong, decisive and leadership that is willing to be unpopular and to use the same papal philosophy, if need be, that his predecessor used to restore order in the church. Um, but yeah, so there's that. But that's the main letter. Now I'm going to bring you uh, something a little bit. Oh, but uh, well, let's take a look at one reaction. From one of the annoying, from one of the most annoyingly and weirdly high-profile people, like on Catholic social media. I don't know how this person has as much reach as they do. But the general sentiment I've seen from the Pope's blaming side is that Pope Francis should find out who wrote this nonsense and expel them from the College of Cardinals for lack of fidelity to the Pope. <laughs> I've seen that sentiment shared many, 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 many times in the last day. Um, let's see. <laughs> Joe Bollock says some squiships are swiships. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, all right, so let's go to the palate cleanser. This is a I was a little surprised to see that this did not also make the rounds yesterday, but um, Bishop Strickland has a new letter. And it's weird that he's got a letter because the reason I don't really cover Bishop Strickland much anymore is he has his own YouTube channel. I assume most of you subscribe to it and watch him there. He can talk for himself. But he's got a letter, so we're going to go over it. This is also a letter to the bishops. It's also not very long. So if this is being published on complicitclergy.com, I'll have this and all everything else we talked about today in my show notes at returntotradition.org for you to find easily, um, probably within a few minutes of my regularly scheduled uh, video for the day going live, which is on Malachi Martin and more about the infiltration of the church by the forces of Satan. So, and despite attempts by weirdly high profile clerics recently to discredit him by repeating debunked talking points against him i'm going to keep i'm going to keep moving forward with my malachi martin series until i've run out of things to talk about that he had talked about which might take a long time because he was prolific but here we have the bishop strickland's a powerful as the complicit clergy describes it appeal to the bishops of the church dated yesterday the 29th of february my dear brother bishops, I am compelled to speak to all of my brother bishops around the world, including Pope Francis, Bishop of Rome. In many ways, I am the least among you, but I share with you the anointing as the successor of the apostles and the call to guard the deposit of faith, and I speak to you in the spirit. I beseech you, let us return to Christ in his way. Let us be bold like our predecessors from the first, second, and third centuries, many of whom followed the Lord unto death, bearing heavy crosses in his name. Let us stand with our brothers who in the 20th century were strong enough to speak against despotic rulers, even though they were a minority voice in their time. Let us in the 21st century be vigorous in knowing and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the light of the world and the Lord of truth. Let us proclaim with deep conviction the fullness of the message of Jesus Christ and resist any temptation to share only the portion of his truth that the world accepts in order to avoid the ire of a world that still hates him. 
Let us speak with full-throated support the inerrancy of sacred scripture and proclaim that it is truly God's word revealed to us and imparted to us as a sacred treasure that leads us from darkness to light. Let us share the gloriously good news that Jesus Christ is the sacred word incarnate and that reverence for his word is reverence for his real and sacred presence among us, just as he promised. Let us call for a worldwide Eucharistic revival that proclaims with tidings of great joy that Jesus Christ is truly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, in the Holy Eucharist at every Mass, in every tabernacle, and at every altar of Eucharistic adoration. Let us teach our flocks that all the sacraments are Jesus Christ, present and working among us, calling us to repentance, healing, and peace, and strengthening us with sanctifying grace so that we may reach out to the poor, the marginalized, and the despised to share his good news. Let us boldly adhere to our ancient faith that Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and the life sent to us by our Heavenly Father. Let us call the world to the one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, which guides us through his one holy Catholic and apostolic church to eternal life with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Brothers, let us be strong and clear regarding all the teachings of our Catholic faith, which speak of the sanctity of life from the conception to, nat to natural passing. The Bride of Christ proclaims the truth that God has created us uh, as we were. The Church, the mystical body of Christ, proclaims the truth that marriage is a sacred bond as it was created, committed for life and open to children, and that this model ordained by God will guide humanity until the end of time. Let us pledge never to leave those caught in sins of the flesh of any kind to wander in darkness of a sinful lifestyle. Let us be the Church that welcomes all, but never abandons any to sin and the dark ways of the world. Let us open wide the doors of Christ's church and welcome all to the sacred path of grace and life, teaching that the sacrificial love that Christ models for us is the only real love. My brothers may our calling to shepherd and feed the Lord's flock never fall prey to compromise of the world which attempts to diminish the force and vigor of the gospel and to render our faith irrelevant and empty. Christ has called us to be in the world but not of the world. Let us resist the currents of our times which seek to create a world in our image and to eliminate God from his place at the center of creation. Let us resist the voices that too often come even from within the church herself, calling us to abandon the truth that Jesus Christ proclaimed, and instead seek to twist, alter, and update this truth until it's unrecognizable and no longer rooted in reality. We must recognize we stand at a precipice of devastation, the likes of which the world has never seen. Let us open our eyes to the evil forces that bring division and darkness, even as they claim to offer a new way for humanity. Let us have the audacity to say no to these trends that seek to erase God and to annihilate our God-given right to choose right from wrong in personal freedom and autonomy. Let us simply say no to the voices that whisper for the dethronement of God and seek to install an all-encompassing uh, uh, apparatus in his place. My brothers, all things are possible with God, and his mercy is always focused on granting us new opportunities to turn from darkness to light. It is not too late, but the time is short for us to do our job. Let us together take up the mantle we received at our Episcopal consecration and proclaim Jesus Christ anew. Let us be shepherds. Bishop Joseph E. Strickland, Emeritus of the Diocese of Tyler. He has accepted the diocese, the Bishop Emeritus title. So um, a good letter from Bishop Strickland, I think. I was a little surprised it wasn't getting any attention until I saw the FSSP news. Then I saw, okay. And for those joining late, the FSSP had a meeting with Francis. They're going to release a press release today. Uh, Father Dave Nix, who has a source in the, in the fraternity, has said that the, that the meeting was a nothing burger. We'll find out today. Uh, I would caution people before making any assumptions one way or the other about this. Um. 
Let's take a look here at the live chat before we go on to my final thing today. Um, all right. Let's see. Mac P says, I know Bishop Strickland was questioned and criticized for teaming up with set of a contest recently. He didn't team up with set of a contest these last couple of months, but he's still America's true Bishop. He, Patrick Coffin is not a set of a contest. He just doesn't think Francis was ever Pope. That doesn't make him a set of a contest. A set of a contest is someone who doesn't think there's been a Pope since 1958. That's what set of a contest is. Okay. Just because someone believes that the see is vacant now does not make them a adherent to a particularly well-defined position. Otherwise, everyone who likes republics is a Republican and everybody who likes democracy is a, demo is a Democrat. And I, I would bristle at anybody accusing me of being really either of those things. So let's finally go to the something that is, I think, possibly the most important thing of all that we'll talk about. I have not covered this in some time. And that today is First Friday. Tomorrow is First Saturday. I have covered the Five for Saturdays devotion extensively, but not in a few years. So we're going to talk about it briefly. Part of the Fatima message is to keep the Five for Saturdays devotion. And there's five aspects to the Five for Saturdays, or four aspects to the Five for Saturdays devotion. But the core of it is that you are making penance and doing active acts of penance and reparation for sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. And again, in which it means you're also doing acts of penance and reparation for sins committed against our Blessed Lord. You're Make you are basically trying to repair damage in, in the relationship between man and God caused by people's besmirching of Our Lady, which and some of these really grotesque sins that go on in the world. And I've covered the details of that rather extensively. But the idea for the first Saturdays is this you go on the first Saturday of each month to uh, mass five consecutive times, five first Saturdays, so March, April, May, June, right. July. So five for Saturdays. And you go to, here's how it works. And this is from, uh, just from one of the many websites out there. I'll give you my own addendum to this. I recommend finding a mass that is offered, not at like the vigil Saturday mass, but a mass during the day, which can be hard to do on a Saturday that is dedicated to the five first Saturdays because mass is dedicated to that means that the priest is offering the mass for the intentions of the five first Saturdays. I would do it at those masses, not as it, not at just some vigil mass somewhere. Okay. That makes it harder to do. Um, any traditional parish worth its salt will be doing a first Saturday mass, whether they're SSPX or FSSP or Institute of Christ the King. They all tend to have a five first Saturdays devotional mass. Um, first Saturday masses for like in the new mass are harder to find. I've heard that they exist, but they're again, they're harder to find, but According to this one website, which I'll have links to in my show notes at returntotradition.org, within a few minutes of this going live, he says, in order to, to start practicing the devotion, we need to be clear what the four conditions or practices are and the intention for each. As we read above, Our Lady explicitly asked us for four practices, each for the one intention of making reparation to her Immaculate Heart. All this needs to be done in order to fulfill her request for the first Saturdays. Now, the request of the first Saturdays was made to Sister Lucia in the 1920s. Okay, this is part of the Fatima message. So first is go to confession. And a quote from Our Lady. By the sacrament of penance, it is possible for all of us to come back to life spiritually. And even when we do not need to restore the life of grace, the sacrament is available on a regular basis to help us go deeper in our self-examination. Actually, I think this might be from the catechism. But to help us resist mortal sin, to grow spiritually, and so answer the call to be saints. Thus, the sacrament of penance helps us to prepare us receive fully, fruitfully a communion of reparation, removing those obstacles to our love for Jesus and Mary. 
Two, the second aspect is the rosary. Ordinarily, we pray the three different my mysteries. I'm not a luminous mysteries person. It's an optional devotion. People forget that it's actually optional to pray the devotion. But, and that this was given in 1929 before the luminous mysteries were promulgated. So I personally would suggest sticking to the three different mysteries, the joyful, sorrowful, and glorious. But uh, it says, normally we, we focus on specific days of the week. We usually pray the joyful on Mondays and Saturdays the Sorrowful Mysteries on Tuesdays and Fridays, and the Glorious Mysteries on Wednesdays and Sunday. Joyful would also be on Thursdays. This is simply to help us pray all the possible mysteries of the rosary during the week. Yet it is permissible to depart from the ordinary practice of praying certain parts of the rosary on certain days of the week. So like an example of this, Sunday traditionally was actually a seasonal uh, focus for the rosary. So during Lent, it's, it's the Sorrowful Mysteries. Uh, during uh, Easter and most of the rest of the year, it's the Glorious, but Advent's Joyful. They say, for example, we can pray the Glorious Mysteries in the Feast of the Assumption. On the first Saturday, we can pray the Sorrowful Mysteries during Lent and the Glorious Mysteries during the Easter season. First Saturday, that's interesting. One must keep in mind that to pray the Rosary on the first Saturdays and even daily, as Our Lady requested at Fatima, means to pray five decades of the Rosary, which was tradition called the Child's Rosary. We should all be working to pray the full 15 decades every single day. But again, so part of the first Saturdays is to pray the Rosary that day. Should be doing that every day anyway. It's the easiest part. You get the communion of reparation. It is first and foremost a reception of the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. The communion of reparation is introduced by Our Lady at, in the Fatima Secret, first receiving Jesus in Holy Communion as a sacrament with the added intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for the sins that appears to her heart. All sins offend God and need to be repaired. Um, and then you can go into the what sins, there are specific ones. These include... Uh, the sins of undermining Our Lady's perpetual virginity and uh, mostly denying like the Marian dogmas. Um, the reparate, communion of reparation and confession can be done by a Vatican decree within eight days of the first Saturday Mass, either way. They make it very easy. That's like half the month when you really look at the time, right? Eight days before or eight days after, that's practically half of a month. So you can do it, those things pretty easily, but make the communion and the confession on that first Saturday. First Saturday mass will often have confession before mass. And if, and if there's a second priest, a confession during mass available. So again, they make it, it's usually done as to be as easy as possible, but the last part and possibly the hardest part is meditation on the mysteries of the rosary and our lady's company. You can do this any time on the first Saturday, if possible, a special time to do this is after mass and receiving Holy communion. A nearby statue of our lady can serve to remind us of her presence that she directs us beyond herself to Jesus within us while we remain in her company. Again, the emphasis here is you can do this any time on the first Saturday, but it's best to do it in the presence of the sacred art of Our Lady, typically found in a parish. The recommended method of meditation is Electio Divina, based on Verbum Domini by Pope Benedict XVI. Well, that's this website's recommendation. Electio Divina is a good way to do it in general. Moreover, Electio Divina is a way to ponder these mysteries in our hearts as Mary pondered the same mysteries in her hearts. Now, this requirement predates Benedict XVI by, you know, a, a century. So you can pray. They, people debate what this means. Some will meditate since it's five first Saturdays, and there's 15 of the traditional mysteries of the rosary that they will do three mysteries in the course for the, over the course of 15 minutes. And then the next month, they'll just pick up where they left off. So they get through all 15 in the course of those five weeks or those five months. This is your five first Saturdays reminder. You can, if you're planning to pick it up, Lent is a wonderful time to pick up this devotion. And it'll take you all the way through Pentecost and beyond, well into the summer.
Um, all right, folks. If there's anything else in the chat? <laughs> Mikey Boss, yeah, Father Gruner was very influential to my understanding of things too, which I'm sure will not surprise anybody who doesn't like Father Gruner. Um, do I believe the meeting was later than usual since the Feast of St. Peter the Chair was the 22nd? Two years ago, the FSSP met with Francis, said he won't suppress the FSSP. I don't know. Honestly, we'll find out when they, uh, when they issue their follow-up uh, press release, I would assume, today. Um, Daniel, there is no mechanism for cardinals to remove a pope. There's been hypotheticals. Cardinal Burke has talked about an imperfect council before, but there's nothing canonically for it. And I guarantee you, if they do that, the this virtual schism we're in will become formal. Um, she wonders what strange power Monsignor Brignini had over Paul, Paul VI. Um, it could just be that they were fellow travelers, and that it's there have some have said that Paul VI had a rather like a crisis of conscience after Vatican II, that things went much further than he ever thought they would. And that's really why you saw the conflict between them afterwards. But otherwise, Paul VI was, like Montini was known. He was a known figure before he became Pope Paul VI. Um, and Scylla asks for prayer for her urgent intention, so please do that. Why can't the good cardinals and bishops ask the Pope to step down? Because under what authority do they have to do that? If they recognize him as the Roman pontiff, what authority do they have to do that other than to ask him to resign maybe because of, of his uh, physical problems that he's been having? Um, let's see. Yeah, Tricia's Catholic says, it's interesting to note that many Catholics seem to think that the luminous mysteries were added to the rosaries, only recommended by Pope St. John Paul II. Right, they're optional. And I have no qualms with people doing it as one of the rosaries. Whatever, do what you want to do, but it's not required. The traditional mysteries of the rosary still stand. It's just they're optional. They're an optional thing. You can do them or not, and don't think less of anybody who does or doesn't. Um, all right, hold on. What would be the impact if the Pope bans the FSSP? Um, chaos. I mean, you're going to see the SSPX chapels bursting at the seams. Um, I don't know what will happen to their priests, their younger ones. The one, the younger FSSP priests that I have spoken to, almost all of them are very SSPX-like in their understanding of things. So I, I don't know what will happen on that front. Their older priests tend to be, well, they their oldest priests are still around. Remember, almost 35 years ago, they left the SSPX to found the FSSP on the, because of the ordinations the, the or the consecration of those bishops. A lot of them are anti-SSPX. The older ones are, but the younger ones tend to look at Archbishop Lefebvre with, with some gratitude. I don't know what will happen on that front, but I expect a suppression of the FSSP at some point. I'd be a little surprised if it happened right now. But again, we'll find out. Father Nix is a source within the, the fraternity says that the, the meeting was a nothing burger. We will find out. Eugene says he doesn't think it was written by Cardinal Burke. It would have focused much more on canon law and Francis anti-nominism. Yeah, Burke's not the person I think wrote this. I don't think it was an American. We'll say that much. Um, will the next book decanonize Paul VI, you think? The only way you can decanonize somebody, really, because I don't think that's ever been done, would be for the next pope to step up and say, 
Francis was an anti-pope. He was never canonically, there was nothing, there was, he wasn't validly pope for one reason or another. It's like 15 different ways you can get to that conclusion. And, and you'll notice in that Demos letter that I've read at the beginning of this, nothing like that was asked for. It was a very moderate letter. To decanonize Paul VI would be, would require every act John, uh, that, that Francis did to be declared null and void. That would also get rid of, John, of the canonization of John Paul II, John Henry Newman, Carlos Acutis, I mean, he named them. Many, many canonizations. That would cause chaos too. Imagine the schism that would happen over that. That would be, there'd be a schism after that. Um, all right. The, um, Sonny Jim says, I would also call into question the canonization process. Oh, I very much do already. The canonization process was watered down back in the 1980s. It really needs to be made much more rigorous. It, it does. And this is not because of any personal negative feelings I may or may not have towards anybody who's been canonized. It's to prevent essentially just the, the watering down of a process that should be considered infallible. Patricia's Catholic does not think there's any need to decanonize Paul VI. That's a hot take right there from a tra from traditional Catholics. <laughs> All right, folks, if there's any final thoughts in the chat, uh, bring them on now and we will talk about this. But otherwise, we're going to wrap this up. But I will have things for you in my show notes at returntotradition.org in just a few minutes. 100% uh, agree, Damien Keller. The Office of Devil's Advocate needs to be reestablished. Yes, uh, it, it worked magnificently since the church established its canonization process, and it should be brought back, even if it's a distasteful thing to do for anybody. Uh, thanks to those with well wishes in the in the live chat. It's appreciated. Um, it is, again, first Friday, tomorrow's first Saturday. If you've been considering either of those devotions, now is the time. Am I saying it wouldn't be a good idea? No, I'm not. I'm saying you need to be aware of what the consequences will be before you make any kind of decision with right, wide-ranging impact. Um, I'm not saying it would be bad. I'll leave that to, to a future pope and future college of cardinals and things. All right, folks. Thanks very much for tuning in. And as always, pray for the church. Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.